Thanks for being here, all of you. You know, one of the one of the joys of a church is to be family. You know, it 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 just is. If we make this place so quote unquote holy that nobody can come here and laugh and enjoy themselves, we've just really done the Lord a a great disservice. And if we've made this place so much that that is that other thing and not teach the very truth of the Word of God, then we've also done the Lord a disservice. There is a balance to our, our faith in Christ. And this is such a lovely church. I, I, I love you guys so much. Let me tell you what today is all about. Today is really a critical place in the Word of God. Let's, let's shift gears. Let's get into this. We're in First Peter. If you've been with us for any length of time, you understand what Peter is trying to do. Peter has begun this particular book to try to speak to those who have been persecuted. He is speaking to those who are going through difficulties and he's trying to show them how they go through trials in their lives honoring God. Let me refresh our memory. He started off, if you recall, there were people, the Jews, who were in Rome and Nero started to persecute the Jews because he was under pressure. He put pressure on them. uh, I think that's a political thing even to this day. People who are in trouble politically all of a sudden try to put pressure. I just got political. What am I doing there? Let me stay away from that. But I am fearful for our country. That's that's over. What, What Peter is doing is he is saying we all will suffer to one degree or another. But he is saying that through this, he will want to teach us how to go through these trials. And so what he has done is he has built a case. What any, what any good, uh, I guess, book writer or, or someone would do is to build a case and then show you how to deal with what he has presented to, to you. So let's review. Let's go back to chapter 1 of 1 Peter. And let's look at verses 6 through 9. Here's where he got very serious about what they were going through. He says, In this you greatly rejoice. The word in this meant in the difficulties, the trials that you are going through, he says, you greatly rejoice. Even though now, for a little while, if necessary, he says, you've been distressed by various trials. Now he says in the next verse, verse 7, these trials that you've gone through are for a reason. He says, so that the proof of your faith, which is more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though gold, which is tested by fire, this, your faith, he says, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 8, I've always loved, and I still do. It's just a a precious verse. He says in verse 8, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you have not seen Him yet, you still believe in Him. Love and believe in Him. You know, that takes us back to me, to, to Thomas. The Lord had just risen from the dead. He presented himself to the disciples in the upper, in that, in the where they were in the room, upper room, and and he was there with them. And he left. And Thomas came back, and they said, "Thomas, we have seen the Lord. He is risen." 
And do you remember what Thomas said? He says, unless I see him with my own eyes, and unless I'm able to put my hands in his wounds, I'm not going to believe. And with that, we are told that the Lord presents himself before Thomas. And he says, Thomas, come, put your hands in my wounds. And Thomas, if you remember, bows down, the Bible says, before the Lord and says, My Lord and my God. And God, Jesus responds to him by saying, Thomas, blessed are you because you have seen and believed. And then he added you and me into that blessing. And he says, and blessed are those, us, who have never seen me and yet believe. And so Peter, in this verse here, in verse 6, says, Though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you've not seen him now, you believe in him. That's us. Now look what he says in verse 9. The reason we rejoice is because, in verse 9, we obtain as the outcome of our faith the salvation of our soul. Man, that's a, that is a great introduction to the whole idea of going through trials and going through them with integrity. And that's what Peter is doing. Turn to chapter 2. Let me build his case a little more. He says in verse 19 of chapter 2, this, talking about suffering, this suffering finds favor, let me add, with God. He'll say that in a moment. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, then Peter builds his case. He says, what credit is there if when you sin and you are harshly treated, that you endure it with patience. But, he says, if you do what is right, and you suffer for that, and you patiently endure that, this will find favor, Peter says, with God. And then Peter pulls no punches, just like we would not here in this church. You know, there's plenty of churches say, you come to Christ, everything's going to be wonderful. No problems in your life. That's not what the Bible teaches. It doesn't teach that. He says, you and I, in verse uh, 21, have been called for this purpose. To suffer. To go through trials. He says, since Christ also suffered for you, He has left for you an example to follow in His steps. He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth. Verse 23, while He was reviled, He didn't revile in return. While suffering, He uttered no threats. I love this next part of this verse 23. But what did He do? He kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges righteously. He was entrusting Himself to God through all the trials that he was going through, the suffering that he was going through, and he asks us to do the same thing. Keep entrusting ourselves to God. Now I want to I go ahead of where we are right now in the fourth chapter, just to build more of the case. In chapter 4, starting with verse 14, 
Peter says, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests on you. So he says what he said before. Make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he says, he is not to be ashamed, but he is to glorify God in this name. Look at verse 19. Therefore, those also who suffer, Peter writes, according to the will of God shall entrust. Does that sound familiar? Remember he said in chapter 2, our Lord entrusted himself to the Father. Well, we shall entrust our souls to the faithful Creator in doing what is right. So there is a right and a wrong on dealing with trials we go through. Lastly, I want to go to chapter 5, which we will get to in time. He says in verse 6, I want you to humble yourself. I want you to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that He might exalt you at the proper time. The proper time is His timing. God has a perfect timing for you and for me. And so what He asks us to do is to humble ourselves under His mighty hand and He will at the proper time exalt you. So therefore, Peter writes in verse 7, cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. He says, be of sober spirit, but, he says, be on the alert because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. In other words, you're not the only one that's going through difficulties. There are others. And so Peter closes what I want to say right now by saying this. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself, will Himself perfect and confirm and strengthen and establish you. What Peter wants you and me to know, really understand, is how to face difficult trials all along knowing that our attitude is critical and so I want to read to you our text for today and that is chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 and I want to tell you what Peter is going to teach us about going through difficulties he says there's a three-prong issue in going through trials number one he says I want you to arm yourself We'll find out what that word means because it's critical to understand. Secondly, he says, I want you to have a purpose with your life. And thirdly, he says, I want your purpose to be according to the will of God. So what we're going to look at this morning in verses 1 through 6 is those three things. Arm yourself, have a purpose in your life, and have your purpose fall according to the will of God. Now, let's read these wonderful verses in chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Therefore, Peter writes in verse 1, Since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, 
so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. He says then in verse 3, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles. That means unbelievers. Having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. And in all of this, they're surprised that you do not run with them into the same excessive dissipation. And they malign you. But they shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as as man, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. Very interesting place in the Word of God. Let me pray with you. Okay, I've learned a lesson today already that I will carry into the next weeks. Don't have beans in, in the, for, for breakfast like we had this morning. If you guys weren't here, we had the best bean burritos, uh, egg burritos or whatever they are. But I'm up here burping like a, like a guy that's just had a big old meal. Shouldn't have eaten. Sorry, I didn't, didn't mean to offend you. Let me pray. Father, please, the, my foolishness is not, uh, is not deserving here. Please uh, bless us, Lord. Would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things that come and, and just come from your word, Father. Teach us, Lord, uh, that we might behold these things and, and make them a part of our lives. And Father, for, for this to take place, please move me out of the way. Let me not hinder what you want to say to each of us here. This is really a critical place because all of us will go through difficulties. And we need to understand what you, what you teach about that, how you help us to go through them. And so, Lord, please uh, teach us. And thank you so much, Father God, for, for Keith and Alicia and for their son, Benton. Bless, bless, bless that dear son of theirs. Bless their family. And uh, thank you for this privilege, Father, of uh, loving on them. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Okay, let's get to the point. Peter calls for you and me as believers in Jesus Christ to be willing to face persecution. Peter's call is for you and I to have strength and unwaving firmness and commitment in what we are all going to go through to one degree or another. Some of us will go through deeper waters than others, but we will all go through difficulties. And so you might say, and perhaps rightfully so, I'm not able to do this. I'm going to tell you Peter understands. Peter knows. If anyone knows, it's Peter. Don't forget, it was Peter who denied that Jesus Christ some three terrible times in the garden at the trial of our Lord. Peter understands. It was Peter who stood before the Lord just sometime shortly before that saying, even though everyone else might deny you, even though everyone else might forsake you, I will not. I'll be there for you. You can count on me. To which Jesus said, Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And so if you feel like you are not able to do this, Peter, of all people, understands. So what he does here in verse 1 is give us the key. First telling you and me, we must arm ourselves. What does that mean? Look at verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, 
arm yourself, he says. You know what's so amazing about studying the Word of God? It's, it's, it's finding out what the words mean in the Greek and see how, how much more deeply they, they, they move and, 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 and help us in our walk with Christ. In the Greek, the word for arm yourself is H-O-P-L-I-Z-O. It literally means to arm yourself with a weapon or to put on armor. Now, for any of you that read the Bible or study it at all, know that Peter is referring to what Paul has said in the book of Ephesians. If you want to turn there, it's really critical. Look at Ephesians chapter 10. First Peter, turn to the left. Uh, Ephesians is not too far. You'll go past uh, uh, Hebrews and then Colossians, Philippians, and you'll come to Ephesians. And look at chapter 6. And look at verse 10. Look what Paul says. Finally, he says, I want you to be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. Then he says in verse 11, Put on the full armor of God. What he is saying is H-O-P-L-I-Z-O. In other words, arm yourself. Let me tell you something that I think you already recognize, but your faith in mine is a battleground. And never forget that we are to arm ourselves in this world in which is going on and swirling on around us. He says, put on the full armor of God. In other words, arm yourself, verse 11, so that you might be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. You'll note, he is telling you that the troubles that are coming your way are from the devil. Look, he says, your struggle, verse 12, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers. It's against the powers. It's against the world forces of this darkness. It is against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. In other words, it's against Satan and his demons. Anyone that teaches you there are not Satan and demons that are manifesting themselves somehow, some way in this world in which you live, they're, they're not understanding the Word of God at all. We are to arm ourselves against them. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's against them. Therefore, he says in verse 13, take up the full armor of God. In other words, hoplizio, H-O-P-L-I-Z-O, arm yourself so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. That's the end of verse 13. The start of verse 14 says, stand firm. Therefore, gird your loins with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Three times here in this, this particular chapter of Ephesians, in verse 11 and in verse 13 and in verse 14, Paul asks you and me to stand firm in our faith, to put on the full armor of God, in other words, to arm ourselves. And so he says on the rest of the chapter, going to verse 20, he says, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. In addition, verse 16, Take up the shield of faith. In other words, arm yourself with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Verse 17, take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Listen, I love this because the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Arm yourself with understanding what is said in this, the Bible so that you know how to fight against those that are coming against you. Take up very spirit, the sword of the spirit. And then Paul says, with all prayer 
and supplicate and petition. Pray at all times. Praying is also arming yourself. Pray at all times. With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Paul wants us to pray for one another, but then he gets very personal. Look, look at verse 19. He says, also, pray on my behalf, Paul asks. If I may, if I may say, I would ask for you to do the same for me. I'm going into, in about uh, two more months, into uh, not being a part of our church on a full-time basis or whatever the Lord would have for me here, but I'll be moving away. And I am to this day still frightened. I have no idea how I'm going to handle it. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I don't fish. I'm going up to a place where they say, well, you can go fishing. I don't fish. Well, then they say, well, you can go hiking. I don't walk. Pray on my behalf, Paul says, so that the utterances may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness, he says, the mysteries of the gospel. Paul, too, proclaims that he needs our help to pray for him, for his boldness in the battle that he is to go through. I agree with that so much. Listen, don't think for a moment. Don't think for one single moment that these apostles were not apprehensive about what they were to go through. They were. And so don't be too hard on yourself if you sense that living like this, living in it and embracing the difficulties that come your way won't be difficult. They will be difficult. You can guarantee it. So Peter says in verse 1, first and foremost, don't go in there naked, so to speak. Arm yourself. Put on the full armor of God. Then he says in verse 1, Secondly, have a purpose in your life. Look what it says, verse 1. Therefore, Peter says, Since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself, one, with the same purpose. Have a purpose. What is your purpose in life? You know, for the, I, I guess this has been a theme of mine because of what has been in the Bible, but I, I've found that I've said over and over to you, do you know your purpose? Do you know why you take breath? Why are you a Christian? What is God asking of you? What is your purpose? I told you before, and I mean it with all my heart, one of the happiest, most, most joyful days of my life was when I understood what was my spiritual gift and knew the, how, to, how to appropriate that and use it to build up the body of Christ. You need to find out what your purpose is in life. Why are you drawing breath? Number one, we come here to build each other up, to build up the body of Christ. We are all needed. You are needed and you are needed and I am needed within the whole family. So find your purpose. Living for Christ, folks, it's not a huge mystery. But for goodness sake, have a purpose on how you plan to live for Him. How do you do this? Well, first and foremost, Put on the full armor of God. Arm yourself. Be ready to do battle out there in the world in which you live like a soldier, if you would, going into battle. What soldier is there, for goodness sakes, who, who goes out on, on patrol in the battleground whistling without a care in the world? There, there is none. No, they take every step with caution because every step is critical. 
few years, not years, uh, maybe a year or so before time flies for me, but there was a young man that went to our church named Maurice. Remember him? Come to, he, now you remember him too. He came to, faithfully, he would come to church, but faithfully he would be with our Wednesday morning group. And I fell in love with Maurice. There's no two ways about it. He was a, a young man who was a man's man. He, he uh, just came back from Afghanistan where he fought against the enemy. I mean fought against them. I mean carried a gun into battle. And he, would, he, would, he told me, I, I got to know him, and we went to lunch together. In fact, I had the privilege of marrying uh, he and his wife, and now they live in, in Hawaii. But he used to tell me about some of the battles that he went into, that he would go into and, and he would take his post in, a, in, the, in the side of a cliff and, and he would just be surrounded by rock. And, 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 and one time he said he was in a gunfight with a guy that was no further away from him than that door right there. He could see every expression on his face, and that guy could see every expression in his face. And they were shooting at one another, straight up. And I asked him, I said to him, what did that feel like in your spirit? What, what in the world did you do? How did you wake up every morning knowing that you might have to go back and do that? and fight battle with someone in that mountain cliff. And he says, it was my faith in Christ. It was my trust that he had his hands on me and that I would come back. And I asked him, how, how did you do it? And he says, with great caution. He said, you never took a step over there without realizing that you were in a battle. Folks, I want you to understand that you and I are in a battleground out here. Satan wants to devour us. We're to live with caution as a believer in Jesus Christ. We are to live as though your life depends on it, no matter where you are, no matter what you are doing. Because as I read out of 1 Peter 5, I read it purposely just to give you a flavor of what Peter says in chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert, he says. Here's why. He says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know who that someone is? It's you. It's you. It's me. He's trying to devour us. So, arm yourself. Put on the full armor of God so that you might stand firm against the schemes of the devil and have a purpose in your life. What is the purpose? Well, let me share with you while I was studying this, I came across a, a, the commentary by Dr. McGee where he started off a paragraph by, by saying this. I, I was full study and I thought I was studying pretty hard and I came upon these words in this paragraph. Dr. McGee says, God, do you know why God allows you to suffer? And my eyes went like that. I thought I was studying, but all of a sudden, he really got my attention. I wanted to know why why does God allow me to suffer? Dr. McGee wrote these words. God permits and allows His children to go through trials in order to keep us from sin. That made sense to me. Because every time I was in a, a difficult time, I would always go to the Lord and ask for help. He says, Dr. McGee writes, God puts you through a test, a trial, a persecution, so that He might draw you closer to Himself and give you a new direction and a new drive for life. Such is, Dr. McGee says, the purpose of suffering. It's to grow us. It's to draw us nearer to our Lord. So we see we are to arm ourselves. Put on the full armor of God. 
Secondly, we're to have a purpose with our life. What is our purpose? Look at verse 2. Love it. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but live for the will of God. That's your purpose. Your purpose and mine is to do the will of God. What is that in your life? What is that in your life? I know what that is in my life. I know what I can say yes to about doing things at the church. I know what things I can say no, I can't do in the church. I know, I know, I know what my purpose is. I want you to know it. I want you to feel that you understand what God is asking you to do within the body of Christ to help build us up, to equip one another. And it doesn't have to be something that that some people would think is this big, important job, like like this, for instance. It's not. It's... This is just this. This is just the same thing as someone who, who is cooking in the kitchen or parking cars or, or, or screwing in a light bulb. We're all doing and serving the Lord. What is your purpose? Why is God allowing you to draw breath? You see, your purpose in life ought to be lived to fulfill the will of God. When, when the disciples asked Jesus Christ, teach us to pray, you remember what he said to them? He said, pray in this fashion. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your... What is the next? Your what? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your purpose ought to be according to the will of God in everything that you do, all that you say, all that you are. Christian, you need to arm yourself, putting on the full armor of God. You need to have a purpose in your life, and your life's purpose ought to be to do the will of God, not only today, but tomorrow and forever, as long as God gives you breath. All along, you and I are to stand firm in our faith against the schemes of the devil. Now, let me close it off with the rest of, of this, these verses. I find them very intriguing. Peter says, for goodness sake, it's time for you to grow up. You've been at this thing called faith long enough. You should have by now run out of excuses for not doing the will of God. Think I exaggerate? Look at verse 3. He says, the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles. In other words, those who are non-believers. It's, it's, you've already had enough time to do that. Having pursued the course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. Enough, Peter says, grow up to do the will of God. This reminds me of a story I've told you before. It fits here so perfectly. We're doing chapel with the Dodgers. This was a long time ago. I, I even believe, I'm not certain, but I believe it was before I was being, doing pastor work in a church. And the, and the ministry was really starting to take off. We were really hitting on all cylinders. We started off with just a couple of guys coming to chapel because they didn't think the church belonged in the ballpark. And they, they, they didn't think the two mixed. And so guys were reluctant to come to chapel services. 
But through the faithfulness of some of the guys, all of a sudden we had almost half the guys come into chapel. Out of the 25 players on the roster, about 13, 14 guys were coming. We got to a place later on where 23 out of the 25 guys came to chapel. But at this time it was about 50-50. And we were just really hitting on every cylinder. And guys were starting to grow. And, and guys were starting to pray for one another. And there was just a sense of Christ in that place And there was one guy that came that when I went out in the locker room and I was walking through, I would hear him say the most rank of jokes. I would hear him say the most rawest of things. And I didn't know this for a fact, and I still don't, but one of the players told me he he ran around on his wife on the road. And all the guys who didn't come to chapel saw him go to chapel, but they saw him also in the locker room. So one day when I saw him alone. I said to him, do you mind if I talk to you, please? He says, no. I, I said, great. I said, i got a favor to ask of you. He always, I'll do anything you ask. I said, perfect. I said, don't ever come to chapel again. He said, you're a hypocrite. I heard the jokes. I heard what you say out in the locker room. I said, you go in there and you re- represent Jesus Christ and then you walk, oops, you walk out there and you you let the guys that don't go to chapel know that there's not a big deal about going because you live like, a, like they do. And they don't feel like they need that any more than, than anyone else. And so I said, do us a favor. Stay out of that room. His eyes got about that big. I did that for a purpose. That wasn't something I would have done normally in a church setting. That I did in the locker room. It fit in the locker room. You just got to trust me, it did. I know ministry in a locker room. I think it was the next week he came to me with tears in his eyes. And he says, I want to ask your forgiveness. What I was doing was wrong. And I looked him in the eyes and I said, You don't have to ask me for forgiveness. I'm not the one you're offending. You need to go to the Lord. You need to make yourself right with Him. And you need to, not knowing these verses, and I looked him in the eyes and I said, you need to grow up. You need to become the man of God that God wants you to become. And he said, nobody has ever talked to me like this before. And I said, I don't know how many people love you as much as I do. But we became fast friends. And this guy really meant business about his faith from that point forward. Now, I don't have the gumption to tell anybody to leave this place. I don't want to. Because I want you to come here and grow, but I want you to grow up. For goodness sakes, I don't know of anybody. I'm not thinking of anyone in our church. But I'm thinking of me and everybody. Grow up. Become the man. Become the woman that God has called you to become. Because we're in a battle out there. Arm yourself with the armor of God. Have a purpose for why in the world are you alive? If you're alive to come here once in a while and go out there and make money and live, then you've got it all wrong. You're to go out there and make money to live so that you can come here and flourish. This is the central place in your life, in my life, that it ought to be. All of that other stuff is stuff. This is real. Where we encourage one another. Where we 
equip one another, where we become people to come to a place where we feel safe, protected by the family of God. Have a purpose in your life. I was going to talk about the book of Romans a little bit, only because at the end of the first chapter, Paul writes, those that they knew God, but they denied, they just denied His very existence. They they were without excuse, Paul said. Which gets to the point that people say, well, I didn't know. That's a lie. They know. It got to the last chapter, last, excuse me, last verse of chapter 1, much like what Paul is saying here. Although they knew the ordinances of God, Paul wrote, those who practiced such things were worthy of death. They not only did them, but they also gave hearty approval. Hearty approval. As verse 4 says, the people that you stop hanging around with are surprised that you don't run with them anymore into the same access of dissipation. Listen, don't fall for there. No, more importantly, don't fall for Satan's schemes. Arm yourself. Put on the full armor of God when you live in this world. Have a purpose for your life. And your purpose ought to be to do the will of God no matter the cost. I pray you get to that place. I I would like to ask you if you're willing. I, I I don't want a response to that. I just, in your own spirit, are you willing? If you are, it'll take courage. It'll take obedience. But what it really will take, it'll take each other. We're going to have to... We're going to have to encourage. We're going to help, have to help one another to walk through deep waters so that we walk with Christ as a family. In a moment, we're going to have prayer. Up here, we're going to have some people that will pray for you. I don't know what you need prayer for. That's between you and the Lord. But we have seen, in fact, I asked uh, Dave and, and, and David uh, Briggs and also Doug, and Mickey, I ask you probably the same thing. I've been hearing that there have been miracles of what is happening over, over a prayer time with one another on the side. Come, trust these people. They will keep whatever you ask of them private, and they will pray for you. And we have been seeing prayers being answered miraculously. Come, come and pray if you need it. We want to be a church that prays. Let me close right now. It's right on time. Father, please. Would you bless us? We all go through trials, Father. Now Peter tells us how. How to handle them. As we arm ourselves with the full armor of God, standing firm against the schemes of the evil one. And Father, we're to have a purpose in our life, a, a purpose that is ultimately to do the will of God. May each of us understand and, 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 and grasp what is your purpose for us as a people. And may we do your will, Father. And Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you that Peter pulls no punches when he says, Grow up. Grow up. It's time for you to, to get serious about your faith. I pray that for myself as I do for everyone here. And now, Father, I want to thank you for this time. Thank you for the privilege of, 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 of dedicating little Benton, Father God, this sweet little boy. Thank you for his mom and his dad. God bless them and their family. What a privilege to have them a part of our church. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let me tell you, I only have about 11 more weeks here. Isn't that something? I know. (laughs) 
Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. I would ask you to pray for me. But I want to tell you something. There's not, a, there's, not a, there's not one thing in my heart that doesn't want to tell you I love you with all my heart. I, I don't know how I'm going to be able to say enough thank you for allowing me to do this and be a part of it. Um, I don't want any parties, please. We had something like it Friday. And it was like going to a dental, dental office and getting your teeth drilled down with no Novocaine. I don't need that. What I would like, and I'll let you know what I'd love, and I'd love for, I'll give you my email address, and, and we'll just stay in touch with each other. It appears since I don't walk and I don't fish, I'll have time to write. <laughs> I, I, I want to tell you how much I love you, and I, I want to thank you for the greatest privilege that any man has ever been afforded, and that's to be a part of this family right here. Love you. Have a good day. Thanks. Thank you.